thank you for that introduction. It was good. I was a little bit worried that you guys wouldn't be able to tell that it's not Pastor Andrew up here this morning, but then I remembered I'm wearing a collared shirt that's buttoned up, so I figured we'd be okay. You can you can tell the difference. Uh, but no, I'm I'm excited to be here. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles, pull your Bibles out, and turn to Exodus chapter 23. Pull out your notes. We're a note-taking church. We believe when the Lord speaks, we want to remember it. So go ahead and have those ready. Uh, as Sam said, my name is Austin. My family and I have been coming to Antioch for about four and a half years now. This is definitely our church home. This is uh, definitely the place that we call family, that we love to be. My, my wife, Anna, is actually on staff here. Uh, if any of you have kids that are involved at our church, then you're thankful for my wife, whether you realize it or not. She does an awesome job with the A-Kids team. Uh, then we have two boys. Landon is seven. He's in first grade, and, and Brendan is two. And then we've got a third kid on the way, but we're, we're a little wild and crazy, so we're not going to find out the gender until, until they make their arrival in July. But it's just really exciting to get to be here because, you know, this church and you guys really are family for me. So it's exciting to get to come and preach. But even in the midst of that, it's always interesting to come up with a topic, to come up with what are we going to talk about? What does the Lord want to say? It's always an interesting process because I'm, I'm not the pastor. I'm not the pastor here. We're not in the middle of a series anymore, so it's kind of wide open, whatever I want to talk about. And so as I think, I just got to thinking about my own journey and my own testimony, and, and then I even got to thinking, does my testimony matter? Does me sharing my testimony with you have any effect? Does it do anything? What is our testimony? What does it mean? And so I came up with my own kind of simple definition of my testimony. Why is it important? And I think our testimonies, honestly, are just pictures of the Lord's character playing out in our lives that we've already seen in Scripture. It's just pictures of who the Lord is that the Scripture already lays out for us. So that's kind of where I was heading this morning. That's where I'm heading in Exodus. We're going we're gonna to read out of Exodus 23. That's where our kind of home passage is going to be that we're going to pull from. But we're going to look at Exodus as a whole. We're going to pull from the whole, the whole uh, book of Exodus. We're going to look at all of it. It, it took Pastor Andrew 10 weeks to get through the first five chapters of Genesis, so I'm going to pick the pace up a little bit, and we're, we're just going to go through all of Exodus today and pull different things from it. So, so where are we in Exodus? I think a lot of us know stories out of Exodus. A lot of us are familiar with things that have happened, so, so we're just going to do a quick, brief recap. Where are we at? Moses is in Egypt. He was an Israelite by descent, but, but he's raised in Egypt, raised by Egyptians. At this point in time, the Israelites are enslaved in Egypt. Moses gets exiled. He's out of Egypt. If you were here at the beginning of the year, you heard our, our church word for the year, what, the God, what God was saying for us. He called Moses aside with the burning bush. That was our word for the year. That's where we're going. So Moses is called aside. He's sent back into Egypt. He goes back before Pharaoh. And then all these things happen that we know, right? All these plagues come, the crazy things happen. Moses leads the people out and he parts the Red Sea and they're out in the desert. And then God gives Moses the Ten Commandments. He lays out a bunch of other laws and rules and things for them to follow. And that's where we land today on our passage. That's where we're at when we read Exodus 23. So go ahead and stand up for the reading of the Word of God. We're going to read a fairly long passage at the end of Exodus 23, so just bear with, stay with me. There's a lot in there. We're not going to touch near all of it this morning, but we're going to bits and pieces from it. So starting in verse 20, 
Behold, I send an angel before you to guard you on the way and to bring you to the place that I have prepared. Pay careful attention to him and obey his voice. Do not rebel against him, for he will not pardon your transgression, for my name is in him. But if you carefully obey his voice and do all that I say, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. When my angel goes before you and brings you to the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, and I blot them out, you shall not bow down to their gods nor serve them nor do as they do. But you shall utterly overthrow them and break their pillars in pieces. You shall serve the Lord your God, and he will bless your bread and your water, and I will take sickness away from among you. None shall miscarry or be barren in your land. I will fulfill the number of your days. I will send my terror before you and will throw into confusion all the people against whom you shall come. And I will make all of your enemies turn their backs to you. And I will send hornets before you, which shall drive out the Hivites, the Canaanites, and the Hittites from before you. I will not drive them out from before you in one year, lest the land become desolate and the wild beasts multiply against you. Little by little I will drive them out from before you until you have increased and possessed the land. Those last few verses are good. That's a whole other sermon. 31, and I will set your border from the Red Sea to the Sea of the Philistines and from the wilderness to the Euphrates, for I will give the inhabitants of the land into your hand, and you shall drive them out before you. You shall make no covenant with them or their gods. They shall not dwell in your land, lest they make you sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare for you. We pray with me? Father, we just thank you that you're here. We thank you that you're ready to speak. And we just, we say, come, say what you want to say. Speak to all of us collectively. Speak to each of us individually. Give us the ears to hear, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Have a seat. So we, we know where the Israelites came from. They were in Egypt, right? They were in slavery. And then, and then we see that they get out of slavery. They're in the desert. That's where they're at when this passage is actually taking place, when God's actually speaking these words. Uh, but the passage that we're actually looking at is talking about where they're going. It's talking about the promised land. It's talking about the end goal. So you can write this at the top of your notes. Our title for this morning is, Are We There Yet? Are we there yet? Even, even as I say that phrase and as I think about there's a picture that pops into my mind, and maybe you get the same one when you hear, are we there yet? I picture a bunch of kids in the back seat, and the parents driving in the front seat, and you're going down the highway, and you just hear, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? No, we just left. 20-second pause, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Anybody else get that same picture? That's what I think of, but even in my own life, I kind of think of that. As I look at my testimony, I look at that, and I think, am I there yet? In my walk with God, am I there yet? Have I gotten to where I'm going? Have I gotten to where I need to be? You know, when I, when I was 19, I was a freshman at college, and I, I was lost and lonely and, and empty and searching for something, and I didn't know what it was, but, but Jesus met me in that moment, and when he changed my life, I had this path. I had this path that I knew I was going to take. This was the call on my life. This is where I'm going, and for three years, I worked towards this thing. This is what I'm going to do. This is going to be my occupation, my ministry, my mission. And then two weeks before graduation, I heard the Lord speak clearer than I had ever heard him speak before. And he said, actually, I want you to go this way. I want you to do this. I want this to be your occupation, your mission, and your ministry. 
And so that's what I did. It wasn't just a fork in the road because I was long past the fork. I had to cut through some cornfields to get over to that other path. But once I was over there, a little while later, I was telling someone that story, and they asked me the question, and they said, so on this first thing, this call that you knew you were working towards, did, did the Lord say no, or did he say not yet? And as I thought about it, and I thought about that question, I thought, he didn't say either of those things, because it wasn't about the thing that I was leaving. It wasn't about the path that I thought I was supposed to go on. It was about this thing over here. It was about the thing that he was calling me into. So then I began to think a little deeper of like, okay, so what does that mean? What does that mean that it's not about this thing? It's about the path that I'm headed on now. What does that say about the Lord? What does that tell me? And as I dove deeper, then I went into the scriptures and I said, what does the scripture tell me that that thing I'm experiencing says about God? So can we just do a quick side note here, a quick little entry into my brain. I used to think for a long time that it was heretical or wrong or dirtier, I don't know. It wasn't right to take something that I was experiencing, something that I was feeling, and then go to the Bible to look for support. Like, like I was going, okay, here's what I think. What can I find that supports that and says that I'm right? And I, and I think in some ways, obviously, that's not a great attitude to have. But, but I was looking at it as old rules and old laws and things that are just set as it is. But really, if we think about it, and if the Bible isn't just some dead words on an old page and that God's really trying to reveal himself to us in these moments, if he's moving and working and active right now, then actually it makes sense to take what you're seeing in your life. It makes sense to take what you're feeling and then to dive in and see what the scripture says. Because remember, our testimonies are really just pictures of what the scripture already says about God anyways. So I began to look in and I began to explore. And I began to go even deeper because now, now I didn't just experience it, but now I can look at it through the lens of scripture. I can look at it through the lens of what was already happening. So through doing that, I was able to take this thing that it's gonna seem obvious when I say it, but I couldn't see it clearly. I couldn't see this characteristic of God clearly until I took it in this path and I want you to write this down too, even if it seems obvious. But what I learned was, whenever God calls us out of something, he is always calling us into something. He doesn't just deliver us from the bad things. He brings us into an abundance of the good things. And I found that in this passage here in Exodus as a whole, but even in Exodus 23, he isn't just calling the Israelites out of slavery. He's calling them into the promised land. So then once I had this clear vision, this clear picture, I was able to see that characteristic of God play out throughout all of Scripture. When Adam and Eve are sent out of the garden, it's so that God can reconcile man to himself. Joseph wasn't just called out of prison. He was called to save a nation from famine. David wasn't just called out of the fields as a shepherd. He was called to be a warrior and a king and a conqueror. Even Jesus, when he calls Andrew and Peter to leave their nets and their boats, he's actually calling them to be fishers of men. When he meets Paul on the road to Damascus, he doesn't just call him to stop persecuting Christians, he's calling him to take the gospel to the Gentiles. And when he died on the cross for your sins, he didn't just do it so that you would be out of death, he did it so you could have real, true, abundant life. So then this funny thing happens when you start to get this vision, when I backed up the truths that I was seeing play out in my own life, when I backed those up with scripture, 
then I'm able to see them play out in my own life even more. I saw that when he was calling me out of pain, he was really calling me into healing. When he called me out of loneliness, he was really calling me into relationship. When he was calling me out of anxiety, it was really a call into peace. So now we've got this specific picture of God that I saw play out. We've got it supported by scriptures, and then it's poured back in to be seen even greater in our own lives. I think that's a pretty good formula to, to learning things about God, to figuring out what are God's characteristics and how do they play out. So now we've got that. We've got a little better picture of this specific characteristic, that when God calls us out of things, he's always calling us into something. Great. So God calls us out of things. Great, God calls us into better things. That's all good. But I think if we're going to look at Exodus, we're going to need to look at the three different stages of that. How does that look? So the first thing we're going to look at is slavery. You can write that in your notes too. We're going to look at we're going to we're going to look at each of these three stages pretty briefly because we really just want to see how they work together. But we got to establish them individually first. So right now the Israelites, as we start out Exodus, they're enslaved in Egypt. They've been there for generations. It's what's comfortable. It's what's familiar. I think sometimes when we read Exodus and we read about the Egyptians and slavery, we do it with our lens of today's society. And so we go, yes, of course slavery is awful. Of course they want freedom. But have you ever fallen into that spot in your own life? Have you ever been stuck in something for so long that it just feels comfortable? Have you ever been in the middle of a hardship? Have you ever been chained by a sin? Have you ever been stuck by a roadblock for months, for years, for decades, for so long that it just feels like that is what it is? Yeah, you would love freedom. Of course you would love freedom. Freedom doesn't seem like a reality. It's just a distant dream. You keep your faith, you keep pushing, you keep doing what you got to do, but in the back of your mind, you're always wondering, is this it? Is this where we stay? That's where the Israelites are when they're in Egypt. That's their mindset. And then all of a sudden, out of generations of that mindset, here comes God. He speaks. He calls them out of slavery. He breaks them free. They leave Egypt. They're out. And then they look around, and then they see a whole bunch of sand. And then they look around some more, and there's some more sand. And then they walk for a long time, and there's a lot more sand. They've made it out of Egypt, but now they're in the desert. It's the second part you can write down, the desert. Maybe you can relate to some of that stuff, too. Maybe some things have broken free for you. Maybe you've met God and you're free spiritually, but your life still looks pretty rough. Maybe you've left some bad things behind, but things are still pretty hard right now. They're out of slavery, but they're not content. In fact, at one point, the Israelites even want to go back to slavery because even though it's this thing they've wanted out of for so long, they know how to deal with it. It's better than wandering in the desert. Okay, we're going to go over that part again, but we're going to skip ahead real quick to the promised land. The last part we're going to look at is the promised land. The land of Canaan, the land of milk and honey. 
For generations, the Israelites have been in a foreign land. For generations, they've been the property of other people. And now God wasn't just calling them out of that land. He wasn't just calling them out of slavery. He was calling them into the exact opposite. Verse 31 out of our passage says that I will set your border from the Red Sea to the Sea of the Philistines and from the wilderness to the Euphrates. For I will give the inhabitants of the land into your hand and you shall drive them out before you. Now they're promised a land that's all theirs. They were foreigners, but now they're getting their own land. And it's a good land. And it's a lot of land. Now they're the ones that are going to have dominion over the people that are already there. God's going to drive them out from before them. He's going to deliver them into their hand. God isn't just calling the Israelites out of something. He's calling them into the promised land. The land without sickness. The land without miscarriages. He's calling them into a good land. And I think, I think the timing that we land on chapter 23, the timing that we land on this picture of the promised land is important. Because if we look, God's laying out exactly what he's going to do to get them there. He's laying out what it's going to look like when they're there. But they're still smack dab in the middle of the desert when he's saying all this. They're still a long ways from entering into that land. So why does that matter? It matters because the desert is what really stirs up the desire for the promised land. You see, originally, the, the Israelites think that just leaving slavery is what they really need. That's what their hearts really desire. Just get us out of this bad situation. But then once they're called out, once they're out of Egypt, they're still not satisfied. So I think that picture brings us back that characteristic of God that we talked about at the beginning, that we established that whenever God calls us out of something, he's always calling us into something. This is a good picture of why that is. Here's another thing for you to write down. God is always calling us into something because absence doesn't satisfy. As we said, the Israelites wanted to go back to slavery because just being out of that wasn't enough. That sounds like something we would never fall into, right? Like something we would never, of course, absence doesn't satisfy. But what if we look around our world right now? What are our hearts desiring? What are we actually clamoring for right now? The absence of COVID, the absence of political strife, of racism, of economic divide, the absence of relational hardships, of sickness, of pain, depression. The absence of those bad things will never satisfy us. That's why God is always calling us into things, because we will never be satisfied just leaving the hard things behind. For the Israelites, their picture of redemption and restoration is in the land of Canaan. God didn't just call them out of slavery. He was calling them into the promised land. And as we saw in Exodus 23, he's preparing that place for them. He's working to drive out their enemies long before they ever get there. But here's the problem. If we were to keep going in the Old Testament, we would see that they weren't even satisfied once they got to the promised land. Problems still arise. They're still not content. 
So if we look at all three of these stages, if we're looking at slavery, the desert, and the promised land, and we're reading this text to find out about ourselves, then it's going to be kind of discouraging. Because we're going to look at this and we're going to say, okay, we're called out of slavery, but we're not going to be satisfied. Okay, we're called into the promised land, out of the desert, but we're still not going to be satisfied. Well, shoot, that's not, that's not great. But thankfully, as we learned during our biblical formation series, while we can relate to a lot of things in the Bible, and we can put ourselves in there, and that's what we've been doing so far, we're really reading this text to learn about who God is, not about who we are. So remember that, yep, the seasons change, the phase you're in changes, you and I change, but the character of God never changes. So the truth that we see here, the truth that we see in this passage is truth that we're going to see all throughout Scripture. Verse 20 of our passage says, Behold, I send an angel before you to guard you on the way and to bring you to the place that I have prepared. Pay careful attention to him and obey his voice. Do not rebel against him, for he will not pardon your transgression, for my name is in him. Ezekiel 37, 27, God is still talking about the Israelites, his chosen people, and he says something similar. He says, my dwelling place shall be with them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord who sanctifies Israel, when my sanctuary is in their midst forevermore. If absence doesn't satisfy, if even the good things that God works together for us don't satisfy, then the only thing that can satisfy us is God's presence. His presence is our one true desire, the thing that we're working towards. In the Psalms, we see this correlation over and over again, the picture of satisfaction in the Lord's presence. Psalm 17, as for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. Psalm 34, the young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Psalm 63, my soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of night. Psalm 65, blessed is the one you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, the holiness of your temple. Psalm 16, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You see, satisfaction isn't a destination to be worked towards. It's a God that meets you on the journey in whatever part of the journey that you find yourself in. Who led the Israelites out of Egypt? It was Moses who wouldn't even go before Pharaoh without the presence of the Lord. Who led the Israelites into the promised land? It was Joshua who listened to the voice of the Lord. But I think what happens sometimes is we read that and we read it looking for what it says about us. So then we see Moses and we see Joshua and we see the Israelites and we say, yep, that's what it was for them. But then we skip ahead. We skip ahead and we say, those are good lessons for those people. But everything changed for us because of Jesus. When Jesus came, he started doing miracles and wonders and signs, and he was doing all the things that we could see with our eyes. We could see the results. And in John chapter 14, Jesus even says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, 
and greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. So now we think we have a cheat code. We will do greater things than Jesus, so we have the keys to the promised land. We can just push ahead and we can skip all the stuff in between. But that's what we think if we look at this to learn about us. And what that does is it puts the pressure on us, it puts the answer on us, and it puts the glory on us. But if we look at the Bible to learn about who God is, then we're going to remember that absolutely the story changes when Jesus comes. He brought the kingdom of God to earth. Everything changes. Of course it does. But the character of God didn't change. As a precursor to that, that verse we just read in John 14, in John chapter 5, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he do so that we may marvel. All the end results that we see from Jesus, all the great things that we saw him do, all of the authority that Jesus had and all of the authority that Jesus gives us, all of that stems from drawing close to the Father. Last week, Pastor Andrew talked about walking in that authority. He talked about walking in the resurrected life of Jesus. We can only do that by drawing near to the Father. The path to satisfaction, the path to those results that we want, they have always been by be they have always been by being close to God. All right, I'm going to say something that sounds like a hard truth, but I think I think we need to say it. As Christians, sometimes I think we are really good at walking in the authority of Jesus and really bad at walking in His presence. We cry out boldly in his name and in power to see the end results, to see the wrong made right, and that's great. Absolutely, we should be claiming his authority with expectation that he will move in miraculous ways. But we still live in a world that isn't fully redeemed. So yes, yes, we should definitely be bold. We should definitely believe that we can do greater works than Jesus did. But what's the fallout when we don't see those things happen? But what's the fallout when we can't get to the promised land? When my wife was halfway through her second pregnancy, I sat next to her in a hospital room. And I prayed in the boldness of Jesus. I prayed in the resurrected power of the Savior. I declared in full belief to hear the heartbeat of my unborn child. But that heartbeat never came. And since that point, the Lord has blessed us greatly. He brought great relationships out of that moment. He gave us more children. There was even another time after that that I sat in a different hospital room. And I prayed those same things. And I walked in that same belief. And I claimed that same authority over my oldest son. And I watched God miraculously heal his little body. But even after all of that, even with all of those things, I will never see the full redemption for that first hospital room. My earthly eyes will never see that. I will never meet my second child on this side of heaven. 
real, true, eternal restoration and redemption are coming, but I'm not going to see it in this life. So does that mean that we don't walk in the authority of Jesus, expecting and believing for miracles, expecting and believing to see glimpses of the promised land? Of course not. It means that even in that moment, even in that first hospital room, the call on me was never to hear a heartbeat. The call in that moment was always to draw closer to the giver of life. So what do you do when you don't hear that heartbeat? What do you do when that broken relationship isn't mended? What do you do when that job falls through? When your depression doesn't dissipate, when your physical pain doesn't get healed, when that breakthrough doesn't come, when your loved one still dies, what do you do? Do you sit in the back seat and you wonder why we aren't there yet? Or do you find satisfaction in the presence of the driver? Even when God is calling you out of slavery, the call on your life is never to fight your own way into the promised land. The call is always to draw close to the one that satisfies in the desert. Redemption is coming. The ultimate promised land is coming. But it's okay if you're still in Egypt. It's okay if you're still in the desert. Satisfaction and peace are available right now, right where you are. Will you stand with me as we close? Have some of the prayer team come forward and we're going to do one more song. But I, th I think the... The action steps, the call. It's, it's a simple one this morning. Look around. Where are you? Where are you and how can you draw closer to the one that wants to meet you right where you're at? Maybe you need to come forward and get prayer for a specific situation. Maybe you need to call out right in your seat. Maybe you just need to sit and wait on the Lord to come. But he's here. He's ready. He's willing. We can't do it ourselves. It is all about letting the one that satisfies come. Draw near to him this morning. Don't let this morning pass us by. Don't let this call on your life pass you by. Whatever you got to do, he's ready and he's willing. Draw close to him. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are here. Thank you that you are present. Thank you that you are sufficient. Thank you that you are the one that satisfies. We pray right now for every person in this room that we would open ourselves up, that we would draw close to you, that we would know you intimately, Lord, in the middle of whatever situation we are in. You are the giver of life and you are the one that satisfies right where we are. In Jesus' name, amen.